You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. Journeying Within is a powerful way to begin or continue to heal and grow. To learn more about working with me to do this using hypnosis in an empowering way, please email me at rebecca.hayden at gmail.com to set up a free discovery call. Welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Today we have Kyle Buller on, and Kyle is a transpersonal, somatic, and shamanic therapist. He has years of experience working with non-ordinary states of consciousness. Kyle hosts the Psychedelics Today podcast, and I'm so pleased to have him join us today. Welcome, Kyle. Thank you for having me here, Rebecca. Excited to be here. Yeah, me too. And I'm very pleased that we get a chance to explore the topic of spiritual emergence or emergency today, as uh, we both have personal experiences with this and you've worked with others going through this process. Uh, This is another uh, layer in the post-psychedelic or plant medicine experience. And just like it's important and healthy for us to connect with others For integration discussions, I feel it's great to connect with others who can relate somewhat to this unusual experience. And uh, like everything psychedelics and plant medicines, it's a vast topic. Um, But I think it's important to sort of out it and let people know that this is something that happens, right? And I think it's an under-discussed topic as well. So yeah, part of, uh, I guess, my work has been trying to highlight it a little bit more within these communities. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like to scare people. I mean, part of it can be like really amazing. But yeah, yeah, so let's dig in and um, maybe you can share with us uh, what your experience of it was like when you discovered what it was too, because like at the beginning, you just, you don't even know what's happening, right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll uh, do a little bit of intro on, yeah, how I got involved in this space and yeah, mm-hmm. my, my, yeah. my path here. So I came across meditation when I was 15. I read a little book called Snowboarding to Nirvana. It was about a, uh, a Westerner that I think found himself in Nepal, ran into this monk, taught him meditation. And, and that really kind of turned me on to uh, some meditation techniques. And then about a year later, I kind of always like joke around that um, I snow- snowboarded to Nirvana. Um, and <laughs> I got in a really traumatic snowboarding accident. And uh, I was night skiing out in the Poconos uh, in Pennsylvania. And I was just going around a turn. There was this mount of snow in this blind spot, just the way the light was on the trail. And, you know, the goggles are reflecting some of the light. Um, Didn't see it until I was on top of it. And I was going pretty fast. Um, Flew through the air about maybe like 30 feet or so. Nose of my snowboard hit, my shoulder hit. I heard a loud pop. Um, I thought I snapped a rib. Um, Immediately kind of lost my breath, was gasping for air. and was in a lot of pain. Um, I was on the mountain for about 45 minutes or so until... um, uh, a responder came by. And uh, by the time they got down to, to the first aid station, uh, they said that I looked, you know, pretty pale, my vitals were pretty low, my ribs were fine, I didn't have any sort of bruising, nothing seemed broken. Um, but they were really worried that I might have internal injuries. And I remember when uh, the first responder said, you might, we think you have internal injuries. My immediate thought was, oh shit, I'm going to die tonight. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't a very religious person growing up. Um, didn't really go to church uh, very often. But at that moment I started to pray. Um, and uh, I said, you know, God, I, I really don't want to die tonight. I'm, I'm too young. Um, and 
I, I guess as I, as I was leaving there, thankfully they got a helicopter. They medevaced me out, but um, yeah, I just learned this a few years ago. My dad was just uh, telling me the story. I guess they, they looked at my dad and said, you know, your son's in his golden hours and he may not make it. Um, so thankfully they, they um, medevaced me out instead of getting the ambulance. Um, and by the time I got to the, uh, the hospital, I was really starting to lose consciousness. Um, my consciousness was really kind of expanding everywhere. I kind of describe it as like, it, it felt like I started to tap into this like empty, empathetic like ocean or like kind of, I, I feel like I could feel everything, like the anxieties of the nurses, the doctors running around. Um, it was like I was in some sort of consciousness field. Um, and the, the nurses were like freaking out. I could hear them say like, I can't get a pulse on him. Um, you know, his veins in his upper body are collapsing. I remember them just like, you know, really jabbing me with uh, needles to try to tap an IV into my veins. Um, they ended up doing a sonogram on me and told me I had uh, massive internal bleeding. Um, I had blood all in my abdomen. This is probably why I was feeling pretty sick. And at that moment, um, you know, when I was in the, the first aid station at the ski resort, I thought about death. Now I'm sitting here not thinking about death at all, even though these people are telling me I'm, I'm slowly dying. Um, and there is this kind of like blissful feeling that, that started to come over me that everything was okay. Um, they rushed me to the CAT scan machine to try to figure out where this bleeding was coming from. And this is like really where I guess my experience started to take off. I felt like I was just submerged in a tub of ice water. Obviously I have really um, a lack of blood rushing through my veins. And so the doctors just kept telling me, don't fall asleep, Kyle, don't fall asleep. They're, they're um, you know, telling me over the intercom while I'm in the CAT scan machine. Um, and I remember just this blissful feeling coming over me. I was in so much pain and so cold. Um, sleep just felt like the best thing ever. So I started to slowly drift off. Um, and this, I described it as kind of like this white light or, or something came over me with a voice and said, you're going home. Uh, you're going back to the stars where we all come from. And this physical life's going to cease to exist, but you'll continue onward. And the more that you struggle with this process, the harder it's going to be. So the more that you learn how to relax into it, the easier the transition will be. And your physical life will cease to exist, but you'll continue onward. And I remember just feeling that, hearing that, um, knowing that, and there's just this feeling of ultimate love and beauty and bliss. And I remember just thinking to myself, I'm going home. Like, this is what we all wait for. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they pulled me out of the CAT scan machine, told me I had a ruptured spleen, um, and then they needed to do emergency surgery, like ASAP. Um, and I remember everything up to the point where the, the last words that I heard was, should we use an electric razor or a straight razor? I think they were talking about <laughs> trying to uh, shave my chest and, and stomach so they could uh, make the incision. Um, and waking up from that, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I think it didn't really hit me until like a few days after, you know, all the drugs started to wear off, um, that, you know, something happened. I feel like I went somewhere. Um, and the way I describe it is like, I woke up with this like map on my chest. Um, and it was like this, like map of like this new world that I was living in all of a sudden. Um, and I had really no explanation, um, thinking that we come from a very visual culture, seeing is believing. I didn't have that traditional near death experience where I was going down a tunnel of light and I met some sort of ancestor or angel and I got to do my whole life review and this and that. 
the yeah the most kind of mystical part of that was just in the cat scan machine and hearing this voice and thinking i was going home and then just waking up um in the icu thinking why am i still back here so there's a lot of questions <laughs> and i was yeah. really confused around like what just happened where did i go there's a deep knowing in my bones that uh some part of me went somewhere else and i had some sort of communication with something um which feels you know sometimes weird to talk about um but it's it took me a while to really kind of grapple with that so that really you know i, I was on a high for a while you, you hear people talk about how near-death experiences really shift their perspectives in positive ways and which it did but i was 16 at the time so um you know in high school all my friends are doing their they're exploring with you know substances and uh their sexuality and this and that and i was just really kind of starting to hang out in this existential despair of what are we doing here on earth why why am i here um you know i just saw things so differently and i remember just coming back and fighting against the school system i felt like i was just wasting my time there um and i was just having some really really deep philosophical thoughts and, and experiences and so that really left me feeling very depressed um I, I had lots of suicidal ideation during that time. Um, and when I talk about that, it was, it's more of this feeling that I wanted to go home. Um, it felt like I wasn't supposed to be here. And this realm started to feel more like a hell realm to me. Um, just being aware of so much human suffering, all the kind of like, you know, structures that human puts into place and we kind of just abide by it and don't really like think about new alternatives or we're just so stuck to certain frameworks. And all this information was just like way too overwhelming as a 16 year old as you're trying to form your identity and your personality. Um, and so there's just this part of me that really just wanted to go back to that blissful feeling. So I, I'd spent a lot of time just dwelling in that of like, you know, I want to go back home. I want to go back to that, that feeling. Um, so yeah, it, I was in a pretty dark place for, for a while. Um, and I don't know if like a lot of my peers or family really knew that it was very kind of internalized because I didn't really know how to talk about it. I was afraid of any like judgment around it. Um, as I started to open up um, to some people around this experience, it just felt like, well, you should just be thankful you're alive. And why are you thinking about it like this deeply? And I'm like, I don't think you understand <laughs> what's actually going on. Um, and it wasn't until I, I, I think I was like 19 or 20, I had an experience with psilocybin um, that really kind of had me relive that near-death experience in, in a different way um and that helped to kind of recontextualize some of the psycho-spiritual trauma um and then so that that's what really got me on this path and when i think about this concept of spiritual emergence um you know the near-death experience was definitely a spiritual emergence um and you know it felt like everything was crumbling around me my reality didn't make sense i didn't know how to navigate it and you know, I was trying to, to put the pieces back together without a framework, without a community, without, say, elders to, to kind of teach me um, what was actually going on. So it left me pretty destabilized in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more around the difference between spiritual emergencies and spiritual emergence. And I'd probably classify that as an emergence because it wasn't overwhelming to the point where, like, I wasn't completing my, my like, you know, daily needs. I was able to go to work. I was able to sustain relationships. But there something just deep inside of me that um you know it was going through this this crisis and that i was really unsure how to navigate it wow 
that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, sorry. No, it's good. Um, it's good because what you described um, coming out of the near-death experience was, um, I, I mean, this, this frustration, confusion, and all of that stuff, I felt that since I was a child, right? Mm -hmm. And I went through all of that, the very existential questions. And I mean, I was, the first time I really started openly questioning everything I was seven and I was in Catholic school questioning mm. how they could tell me what I believed and I know how that feels <laughs> to be yeah. confused and frustrated and 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 not be able to share it because there's just no framework like there's how do you begin I was a child too right like yeah in fact you know the only time I started to even come close to understanding where I was coming from was when people started to use the word philosophy when mm. I spoke they'd like oh, you're, you're using philosophy or what are you a philosopher now? And I'm like, oh, maybe this is my route. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's a good word. Let me find out what that's all about. Right. It was very funny, but I didn't, I don't think that I had a near death experience, but I do think that there are some of us that, that go through life like this. And then, so yeah, I think um, some people are, are pretty attuned. I mean, as you're saying that my childhood was pretty mystical. Like I was always kind of thinking about um, deeper abstract things as a child and, and having different types of experiences. So, you know, the near death experience definitely wasn't my entry point. It definitely amplified things a little bit more, but yeah, even as a kid, like, you know, I was kind of questioning things and um, having kind of some of those deeper thoughts as well. Yeah. And it's really, um, it's really, it feels sad when there's such, when you feel so completely alone and you can't, it's all, it's also, uh, you know, deeply within and you can't express it, you know, yeah. it's, there's just, and even like, as I grew up and even as a young adult, it's like, nobody at parties wants to discuss anything like that, you know, until I'm, or unless <laughs> you get into the psychedelics, right? Yeah, I remember in college, I remember one night we were, I was out just at a bar with some friends and I'm going down these philosophical rabbit holes and talking about death. And they're like, Kyle, can we just have a normal conversation that doesn't include <laughs> death and life and all this stuff? I'm like, I don't know how to just have small talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I was always there. So when I found uh, psychedelics officially, you know, when it wasn't framed as party drugs or, or the, or, or escapism or anything like that. In fact, you know, even when I had experiences with a cannabis, when I was younger, it's not my medicine. I know that because it feels really uncomfortable, but tons of communication, like something was trying to get through to me even then. And everybody else is looking at me like, Oh, what's going on with her? Cause they're all parting away. And I'm thinking how they couldn't possibly be having this experience. if They're all so casual about everything. Right. Right. Yeah. But when you mentioned that you had this communication, like, and this is, I mean, I'm sure by now you've heard stories from a lot of people who've had near death experiences. Right. And it, they're very similar to the psychedelic and plant medicine mm -hmm. experiences, in my opinion, and really inspiring. Um, when you had that communication about the stars, um, I also remembered an experience I had with Iboga where um, it's built into the process that you're supposed to go and visit your ancestors, you know, mm. on the moon. I mean, I know this sounds odd, but let's face it, this is like a psychedelic plant medicine, you know, process. So it is odd. 
and everybody is kind of led through, you know, to their homes and then up to the moon and they all, you know, meet with their ancestors. And it, I've had four Evoca uh, ceremonies and mm. never once could I do it. I was always flung into the stars. Mm. Interesting. So stars versus the moon. Yeah. And that felt like home to me. It felt yeah. nice. It felt, it felt exactly how you described it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and then, that. yeah. And it was like, so there's all these layers of not being like everybody else. And it's frustrating sometimes, you know, because it is, it's like the way people feel after medicines where they just go, how can I start to talk about this to anybody? Right. <laughs> it's really confusing and scary, right. To like open up about these transpersonal experiences. Um, it can be really scary even um, to open up to people that may understand it. I'm always reminded um, sometimes when I work with people that have had really difficult psychedelic experiences or just kind of spiritual experiences, there's that hesitancy, even though they're reaching out for support of like, I don't want to sound crazy right now by telling you this. Um, and so I think there's just some sort of taboo and stigma around these experiences. And maybe that comes from more of our materialistic science worldview where, you know, we can't measure these things. We can't uh, rationalize it in a way. So we don't, completely understand it which makes it like mm, this is kind of woo woo and, and strange um mm -hmm. but yeah it's interesting to even hear people um have fear around that even when they're they're reaching out for for support around these types of experiences so i think really part of it is trying to kind of trying to normalize it a little bit um you know human experience is very vast um and it's mm -hmm. not just limited to this physical reality that we can touch and and, and feel um you know, it's, we, there's lots of different experiences people have that are outside. Yeah. Of and in fact, you know, uh, what so many of us are discovering is that these journeys that we have in these, you know, strange experiences are actually helping us understand this physical reality much, much better and, yeah. and understand how crazy this is. Like, this is actually <laughs> the crazy experience, this right? The all trip, the, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh, all the limited you know, uh, hurdles that we seem to be placing in our way and uh, the way that you describe these institutions and the things that, you know, haven't changed for so long and don't make sense. And like, these are the things that, that we have an opportunity to, to change and, and take a look at, you know, and as you know, you and I kind of felt that way for a long time, but once we experience these, once we get a chance to look at it from this different perspective, you know, things become so much more clear. Yeah. But um, I want to get back to, uh, to spiritual emergency and emergence. Um, what, you know, how that unfolded for you, and whether you knew, you know, when you found out what that really was called, because I didn't know what it was for the longest time. And it was Stanis Stanislav Grof that, you know, I came across a paper of his and went, oh, okay, this is it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that term spiritual emergence and spiritual emergency was coined by Stan and Christina Groff. Um, and I think I found that out when, so after this, you know, really profound experience and then some really profound psychedelic experiences in my early twenties, um, I found myself just kind of floating around and yeah, in this crisis of like, I don't know what the hell is going on right now. Um, it, it was really scary and, uh, I needed to find support. And so I came across Stan's work and I think the book that I first 
read didn't have any really mention of spiritual emergency in there but he talked about transpersonal psychology and i said you know this is what i want to study like i i need to study this and so i found a program um, in vermont that offered an undergrad in, in transpersonal psychology and so i think i started to really understand that process what spiritual emergence and, and emergency was in that program and that started to become somewhat of a focus of mine of, of looking at holotropic states of consciousness and, and how they can foster healing, but also sometimes what is that uh, crisis that people go through when they start to open up and you know, be, be exposed to these different realities, these different ways of seeing the world. Um, and so I, that was kind of like my, my introduction was during my undergrad in, in transpersonal psychology. So I did a lot of kind of research on shamanism, on psychedelics, on breath work, on like, you know, plant medicine and herbalism, uh, dream work, um, all sorts of different things. It, it was pretty, uh, pretty fun experience. <laughs> but were you experiencing these things like a post psilocybin? Were you experiencing unusual ongoing things that you hadn't before? Definitely after the near-death experience, yeah. Um, you know, just this more opened, uh, expanded state, feeling like I'm more in touch with people's feelings, feeling like um, just more sensitive to energies. Like right after that, I feel like I became kind of very sensitive to environments um, and like stimuli, um, just felt like way too open, like I was receiving too much. Um, mm -hmm. And so psychedelics then kind of compounded that and um, amplified it even more. And then that left me feeling pretty, pretty unstable for a while as well. So, yeah, I mean, I've gone through this too. And it's funny. Um, I remember being in my son's when he was still in school, I was in the office waiting for a meeting with, with teachers about, um, I'm sure that they wanted to label him in some way because he didn't learn like other kids. And I mean, by that time I was just like, I was really fine with, you know, whatever they had to say. Cause I knew the direction we were going to take anyway. So I wasn't really that nervous, but there was another child sitting in the office who had hurt his arm and he was crying and I was crying mm. and I was crying because I could feel everything that was going on with him. And his mother was sitting there with him um, saying, uh, you know, what's wrong? Like, is it still hurting? Like she couldn't understand why he was crying so hard because his arm didn't seem to be that hurt. And I knew he was being bullied, but I was mm. so overwhelmed and that that's why he was crying. And I mean, I went through that as a kid and I was so overwhelmed by it all. I couldn't really articulate it. I didn't even realize what was going on until later. Yeah. And because there I had this meeting and tears and a teacher showed up my son's teacher saying, oh, don't worry about this meeting. And it was just also confusing. It's like, then I had to go in this meeting and focus on, you know, my son's situation. It was like, and these things did happen. And, and I wasn't, I, because of my ongoing also shamanic experiences where I'm constantly getting guidance, like that voice that spoke to you in that machine, like this is ongoing for me. So yeah. Yeah, never, you, you have a hard time really turning it off. And I think something, um, I think this is where some of like the anthropology around shamanism has been helpful. Just this idea of like being able to walk between two worlds um, and thinking about kind of the initiatory crisis 
um, that, that people can go through and how that really opens you up and really learning how to manage that um, and voluntarily kind of being able to walk between those two worlds. Because, um, yeah, it's really overwhelming when it's just happening spontaneously all the time. And I think part of the work for me has been really trying to understand it in a way where mm-hmm. I'm able to, to manage it in, in, in a different way where it's not just kind of like, you know, always unfolding. I mean, there was a time, yeah, especially when I was in my undergrad and during my early 20s where it just felt like I was just opening up portals where I was getting so many different downloads and premonitions and in my dreams, like things were manifesting and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, this is, you know, it's a little too overwhelming. Like it sounds fun, but there's also like that just overwhelm where it's like, sometimes you just want to live a normal life without all that information. Yeah. And I wonder, like, I mean, okay, so there's a couple of aspects of it for me. I I felt all those things. And at times, I mean, now I I think I have managed to, you know, figure out how to be with this and still have a life and all that. It took years. (laughs) And it usually does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're not taught this. We have to learn it by doing. We have to learn it by experience. And I'm sure it's different for everybody. I'm sure that for some people, their solution was to turn it off. For me, I finally had this voice that understood me. And for mm-hmm. a child to go through so many years into my, you know, by the time this started, I was in my 40s, you know, not being understood, not being able to dig into this stuff that mattered to me so deeply. And suddenly I was doing that all the time. Mm. And with a voice that actually, you know, understood me so well and helped me, you know, helped me be able to function and understand myself and understand my experience and all these things. There's no way I was going to turn it off, but I had to isolate. I had to actually be with it and be that for a while and not regular life other than taking care of my son and actually learning to do that a lot better because our relationship improved because I was improving, you know, so. Yeah. And I think something that you mentioned in there just reminds me um, of the term discernment when we are working with like, say those voices, right. It's like, I think that's been part of my practice is like learning to discern um, how to listen and, and what to listen to. Yeah. They taught me a lot about that. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting because you know, I work with hypnosis and some people when they're in that space, they start to be aware of their own reactions to things, right? Mm-hmm. And this is great prep for medicines or even afterwards, because we're not used to kind of that level of awareness. And it's it's a good, subtle introduction to it. But this was going on with this voice, too, because my own reactions to it or ideas about it or my fears about how if it was going to get offended, it was silly. Like, it's so funny how to think about it, right? Because they don't have any of that. And they were educating me about that. These mm. and, and about myself at the same time. So my fears about react, reactions and all the rest of it, obviously from my past. But me attributing it to them, you know, and them right. educating me that, hey, that doesn't really exist for us. So when you're experiencing that, that's you. And it was great because it helped me understand myself, but it was like, this is deep and involved stuff. And you can't just kind of do it on the fly. You know, it's not like that at all. You have to take hours and days and months and potentially years. Years. You know? Yeah. And I think it's really kind of around cultivating that relationship with that. Um, 
yeah because when you don't have a relationship with it it probably feels very foreign and what is this but yeah it takes takes years to to cultivate that to to really understand it and i wonder if we're chosen like i mean i don't think that this is going to unfold the same for people who didn't have this philosophical bent from an early age you know like for me it was there was this tremendous sort of like oh my god this is the education that I actually has been have been waiting for my entire life mm. you know <laughs> formal education just like I tried I tried my best I tried in many different ways and it just was not for me and then finally it's like ah this is it <laughs> you know <laughs> here it is <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, it's interesting to think about, yeah, are we chosen for this? How do we come into this life? Like, and I think that kind of comes back to like life purpose and, and meaning. I mean, that was definitely something I really contemplated after my near-death experience of like, I don't think like any of these experiences necessarily make me special of like, oh, I got it all figured out. But it's like those experiences maybe had me go inward a little bit more to think about what is my purpose here? Like, what am I doing here? How do I want to show up? How do I want to spend my time? And I think that's the one thing like the, the death experience has taught me. It's like, yeah, the only really currency we have here is time. And, and how do we really want to spend it? Um, and, and really thinking about, you know, how do we have the most impact? If, if that means anything to you, if people want to have impact in their life and, you know, their communities with people and around the world. Um, so yeah, life yeah. purpose is, is an interesting topic. Yeah, that was my first question for Iboga. And I mean, I was going through deep depression, right? And you would think that it would all be around healing, but that was the, the burning deep question about purpose. But getting back to being special, you know, from what I, I've learned from this long time, listening to this voice that's teaching me about everything is that, and, and from medicines, and I, I'm sure a lot of other people learn this stuff too, is that we are all special. We really are. We just are not oriented towards uh, understanding that deeply. And once we do, this world will look a lot different and a lot better because we do each have our own truly special, unique gifts. And we're not, we're not really learning what those are because, and, and I can tell you from the standpoint of a parent, once a child you know, is born, it's like, okay, when are they walking? And there's these comparisons that start. Are they walking as soon as, you know, our neighbor Johnny's kid like walks and, and then who's doing better at math and who's better at English and who's better at science and who's better at this. And there's this whole, like, you know, there's this whole other area outside of those tradition, very old and traditional, you know, um, areas of study that people can be utter specialists at. They just could never discover it if they're all focused on these very narrow um, avenues of study and, and what you should be good at and what you've got to learn. And, you know, and I think we're branching out now. I think we really are with technology and with the emergence of so many entrepreneurs and so many unique opportunities that are presenting themselves. I'm hoping that people will start to understand that we are all special and it's actually really vitally important for us to understand you know, what we're specialists at in ourselves, like what's our, what's our unique gift here? And, and then we won't be asking what I'm here for. We'll be doing it, you know? Yeah. And I think that's like, we're kind of like, um, working with like archetypes, like really kind of comes into play, like thinking about like the roles, like how are we showing up? Like, yeah, what am I uh, good at? What's my skill set? How do I really utilize that? Um, 
yeah and something with like after my near-death experience like I thought like yeah this this isn't a very special experience everybody's going to experience something like this eventually um but like could there be a way for people to experience this without needing to go through such immense trauma and and go to the brink uh, of death like that um and that's what really kind of turned me on to psychedelics where after my first experience I go whoa like this feels so eerily familiar and maybe this is a tool or technology that can help us like go inside explore these inner realms and landscapes to help us like rediscover who we are here um, in in the world did you ever get direction on um or learn more about how to respond given your new sensitivity like this was something that's really become important to me and i'm sure we're not the only ones that have had to contend with that. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we are, we talk to people all the time that have gone through this and how many people come out and they're just like crying all the time. I mean, I've gotten used to it and I know it's a good release and all the rest of it, but you know, it's like, it's very interesting how our expanded consciousness is also, there's this big emotional component, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess as for your question for working with it, um, you know, you were talking about that voice and after I was kind of really in the midst of this like spiritual emergence process, um, there was this kind of voice guiding me, um, telling me like, or just reassuring me that like what was unfolding was kind of part of the process and that I really kind of needed to stick with it. And for some sense, like that, that, that kept me really grounded um, it, it allowed me to trust the process. It like, when I thought things were getting out of control, there was something that would come back and and ground me and guide me and and remind me that, you know, this is unfolding for a reason it will pass. Um, and then when I landed at, uh, Burlington college to study transpersonal psychology, you know, there was a lot of great skills I learned there, um, you know, working with my one um, shamanic practitioner teacher, working with like, you know, dreams and just all these different kind of experiential techniques. Uh, I got trained in Reiki. So really kind of learning how to manage my energy through that. Um, and so I think going to a place that allowed me to explore a lot of different um, skill sets and tools to put in my toolkit was, was really helpful. Um, and I, I might've mentioned this um, to you in in the the class a while ago but um yeah the one thing that like hit me the most was uh i was talking to this teacher and it was like maybe after the first or second class i was taking this uh, eco eco psychology class and i shared my story with him and i remember he just looked at me and said you know if you lived in a traditional culture the elders would have uh, stepped in and taught you this new way of being and seeing the world Um, But unfortunately, you don't. And you had to figure that out on your own. Um, And that statement has just lasted with me for so long, because it was probably the first time I ever felt heard and seen and that I wasn't going crazy. And that all I really needed was, you know, somebody to just teach me um, Mm -hmm. and and offer skills to to navigate it. Um, And and that's probably probably the most impactful, um, you know, experience that I've had with trying to yeah, just understand it. it was like oh what i'm going through isn't crazy or <clears throat> anything like that like this is in the range of human experience and there are some cultures and traditions that understand this and they actually have skills t- to navigate this yeah yeah i felt that deeply at the time that i first started going through it when i came back from the jungle like 
uh, just spontaneous shamanic experiences, spirit showing up. I knew it was all healing. I knew what was going on in a way, of course, but at the same time, you can't help but also have that, uh, that, the, that force of conventional experience questioning it all and yeah. going, and how's this going to fit into my life, right? Yeah. But I went with it because I was guided. But for the longest time, I had that yearning for that, that, that guidance, that human guidance that I knew only existed, you know, in those traditional cultures. And even so, in the end, when I finally kind of had that opportunity to connect with somebody like that, I don't think they could have, to be honest, because mm. even in that realm, it's not like they all understand everything either. They right. can just yeah. they can just hold space for you in that they've had experiences like, you know, like that and they accept them, you know, and they don't look at you like you must be crazy. And that is enough sometimes. Right. But totally. Yeah. Just to be seen. Yeah. And I mean, you must have heard many stories now because you've worked with people um, who've had these experiences like for me all of it's been like very, very shamanic. So I'll have animals show up to help me with things and I'll still like all the time, especially in the wee hours and, and in the early hours of the morning and they'll, you know, t tell me they're taking something off or moving something or there's a lot of extraction going on and, and silliness and it's funny and it's educational and it's growing and all this stuff, but, you know, and, people can identify with it if I tell these stories in the context of a medicine experience. But for me, it's happening like regularly. And isn't, that, isn't that interesting <laughs> that like, it feels a little bit more acceptable if it's within a medicine experience and not just yeah. like naturally happening. It's like, and I think that kind of comes back to the emphasis on like, okay, you took a substance and of course, like there's going to be some alterations in your perception and consciousness, but to have that happen without any sort of, you know, chemistry involved, then it's just like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Are you, are you okay? <laughs> I know like, well, this is why I gravitated toward hypnosis, I think, because in those journeys, these things do happen for people who have ingested nothing and they can see that this is possible and, yeah. and, and it's really helpful. And, and, and it does in a way, uh, I wouldn't say normalize it. I think we've got to change what we consider to be normal. But totally. it does, it does make it more accessible, and and you know, uh, people accept it more. You know. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that yeah it comes back to around like you know the importance of like just education around um, a lot of these experiences to try to help to normalize it. Yeah, I think that this is all we can do is kind of say, this is a thing that happens, mm -hmm. you know, here are certain aspects of it that we've experienced and just, you know, invite people to open up to it and, you know, um, discuss it more so that it, it's out there in our realm of awareness and understanding and acceptability <laughs> and also for people who are anticipating uh, experiencing um plant medicines or psychedelics to know that this is possible and there's nothing to fear really it's just you know it, this is why we say look this this is not something you just go and trip on or oh everybody's doing it this is big this could potentially change your life in ways you can't even fathom yeah yep and that brings up like an interesting um just 
question around like informed consent around psychedelic experiences and you know i think this is where like that topic of like spiritual emergence and emergency comes up of like yeah sometimes we don't know what we're diving into when we open ourselves up into these expanded states and you know what happens when it does turn into a crisis to to some degree um and you know what type of supports do people have around to support them through it because it does feel like kind of like a radically different perspective to try to be with people without trying to you know i guess coming from like traditional psychiatry and psychology of trying to suppress it with medication or trying to stop the experience um but yeah how do we be with people and and support whatever they're going through um and you know sometimes that does include trying to ground the energy because if the energy is like you know really big you know people could um either harm themselves or you know do something else uh so you know i think sometimes that is important and it gets into such a nuanced discussion around Mm -hmm. trying to navigate a lot of this stuff there's no hard and fast rules or guidelines I, i think um i think it's it's very nuanced um yeah, it's like life, you know, and yeah. we're still we're still sorting through it, but it's the willingness to do it, you know, and and yeah. the caring and tapping into, you know, that unique scenario of that person and what they might need um, without going into panic. I mean, I this is why I have just such admiration for people who offer medicines because um, you know, that's so completely unpredictable. I mean, all of it is really, but that's that's that can be Um, pretty extreme in the moment, right? I mean, so when you mentioned grounding, I remember a story told about a participant that was going through an extraordinary um, crisis during a medicine experience. And um, they put this participant outside in, in, in the earth because they were, you know, grounding this person. And it was appreciated in the end. It was exactly what they needed, but it might sound very extreme, to others right yeah, <laughs> doing yeah. things like this but this is again this is really beyond this so-called conventional and normal society that we're used to that is very sick by the way i mean we do we do start to get that you know that there's a reason why we're reaching out to these medicines and why we're so medicated as a society and why so many people are so unhappy and depressed and stressed and all of these things this is this is what we're learning that you know if we still cling to what we consider to be normal to try to deal with what that normality is causing in us we're not really getting very far right (laughs) no we're gonna stay stuck yeah um but you know i think it's also scary for a lot of people to have like a really big change in ideology and beliefs and stuff like that so it's like the interesting dilemma i think with humans um is that we want to strive for new structure and change um, but then there's also this fear of what happens when we do do that um what does Mm -hmm. the world look like you know as it starts to crumble um but yeah I, I often liken it to having a baby, you know, mm. everybody talks about it. Oh, it's a beautiful experience. And it is, but you can't know until you have you one and then your whole it, yeah. life changes. <laughs> That's why I, I, people say, well, so you recommend ayahuasca or plant medicines? They say, no, I don't. It's like telling someone to have a child and it's like yeah. their whole life changes and you can't answer for any of that. And, and it changes in ways that you can't always share with everybody. There's like tons of parents, but, I don't know how many of us really talk about the deeper issues of that whole dynamic and, Mm. and what really goes on inside and how your life gets so taken over. And it doesn't really have to be that way. It's the way 
a lot of people do it. And yeah. there's like tons of peer pressure, which is interesting, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's very interesting about a, a parenthood. And, and so you repeat the whole same thing when you start to go to school, which I was never comfortable with. And then suddenly it's happening again as an adult, but you know, involving your children and what's expected and, and everybody's doing this and, and you don't feel like you have time to think and sort through the most important decisions that you're going to yeah. make. And yeah. And, and medicine was really helpful to allow me to be different and be okay with that. And, but yeah, it's been very interesting. And so one more question, um, you know, that I'd like to, to talk about before we wrap this up is what do you consider to be the difference between emergence and emergency? Cause I mean, for me, it's just when I have resistance or when something's extremely intense, I guess I could regard that as more of an emergency, but I see it all as emergence in a way, but I'd be Which it is, like, I think it, it's kind of a spectrum. Um, so I'm going to go back to a definition that I like to pull from when I, when I um, share slides and present on this by uh, Dr. David Lukoff. Um, spiritual emergence is kind of more of a gradual unfolding, and it's not really disrupting your social, um, you, you know, your, a lot of things in life. So, you know, you're able to go to work, you're able to keep relationships, you're able to meet your, your you know, basic daily needs. Um, but inside there is this process that's unfolding and it can be a deeply internal psycho-spiritual crisis. Um, and to some degree that definitely feels like an emergency, right? Um, on the other hand, I guess I, I like to classify the emergency as more um, on the the process that you know a very acute experience people aren't meeting their daily needs they're having trouble functioning um and being able to, to really take care of themselves so i worked at a place that uh specialized in kind of like hospital diversion for people experiencing um, extreme states and um, what was classified as early episode psychosis um it necessarily wasn't spiritually like a spiritual emergence informed program but i think coming from my transpersonal background i was really kind of bringing that lens into it and trying to understand it from that perspective and so you know there were some people that you know they were able to function they just really needed a place to rest um and to kind of sort through their stuff but there were some folks that continued to work and, and do their thing they were able to take a little bit of a break on the other extreme, there are people that really going through these really deep crises that, um, you know, left them not being able to work, not being able to really do much, but, you know, they were, because they were so immersed in their inner world, um, whether that was voices that were talking to them, um, you know, having, you know, just very kind of chaotic thought patterns, um, whether that was kind of paranoia, um, and that really left people very ungrounded. And so when I think about the emergency, you know, that's when people are having a really hard time managing um, everything in their life. And so when I think about my process, even though it was chaotic, it felt like an emergency. It felt like, you know, I, my life was just crumbling and I had no idea what was going on. 
I was able to show up to work. I was able to, you know, keep relationships. I was able to, you know, kind of go about doing my thing. Um, and I feel like if it was, you know, a deeper, truer emergency, I probably would have had to, you know, have uh, a deeper uh, level of support there. Um, whether that was like, you know, checking myself into the hospital, finding a program to, to be in. Um, but yeah, I was able to really kind of navigate it on my own in a way. So I know no program that you're aware of exists for, you know, genuine spiritual emergency and emergence right now to support that. There's one place called, I forget what it's called. It's Spiritual Emergence Center, Spiritual Emergence. It's in North Carolina. Um, I'm not too, sh I, I'm not too up to date on what they're doing, but I know that they, they did try to create a program like that. Um, and they, they may continue to, to cater to that. Um, some of the other programs are really kind of you know, continuing to use the language of psychiatry. So the place that I worked at, you know, they called it um, early episode psychosis or schizophrenia. Um, and, but yeah, you're right. There's really no places that are really kind of um, specializing in what we would call like a spiritual emergence. And I'm also, you know, I've had, I've had conversations with um, some of the, the experts and authors in the field of spiritual emergence, like uh, Dr. Emma Bragdon, um, who actually has a whole spiritual emergence coaching program, um, just even around the term spiritual emergence, because I know that term spiritual kind of you know, can sometimes rub people the wrong way. Um, sure. and so it makes me wonder if there's some sort of new term that could, um, you know, kind of classify what, what somebody is going through and also not pigeonholing it into a spiritual experience. And so there's a quote that um, I often like to reflect on, and it was by Stan, uh, Stan Groff, where uh, and I think this is where the nuances come into play, where there, sometimes we want to idealize and romanticize these uh, states and say, oh, you know, this is a, a budding shaman that is, uh, you know, emerging. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes we also shouldn't be overlooking any sort of medical issue that could be going on with somebody. Um, and I'm reminded, too, from a story that a teacher told me. Um, that even in certain cultures and traditions that do have this framework of shamanism and, um, you know, are able to kind of contain these types of experiences, um, even they have, uh, you know, they, they see when something could be wrong and, and outside that scope. And so uh, the, the story a teacher shared was some folks were on this African safari and they came across a town and uh, or a little village and somebody came up in kind of an erratic state and uh one of the, the people on the safari were like oh that must be the village shaman and one of the other <laughs> villagers came up and said oh no that person's just crazy um and so that and and i hate to use that word crazy like that but, Me too, um, you know yeah. it, it, it emphasizes that even in those traditions they can see that something could be medically wrong with somebody right and so we shouldn't always romanticize um, what's going on. And, and in my work, when I was working with people in those states, there are times when medications were really helpful. Um, there are mm -hmm. things that were, you know, people needed to, to get uh, medically evaluated. And, you know, there were things going on with them and, um, you know, it could just be simple adjustment with, with certain things. And so we need to have a fine balance there between romanticizing and just also being kind of realistic as well. 
Well, I wonder what the, the shaman would have said about this guy that everybody regarded as crazy. But yeah, I mean, there can be um, imbalances and all kinds of things going on. And I think that when all of these different areas start to work together, that's when we're really going to make progress. But that's I don't see that happening much. And uh, in terms of the, but it's, I, hopefully it's, it's starting. I mean, now that we're having these discussions and these experiences are becoming more openly discussed, let's hope that, that things will follow that support that. And yeah, I think it's um, just trying to be a little bit more holistic and sometimes maybe putting our ideologies behind. Like I think about, um, I was studying with a, a pretty well-known ethnobotanist and they are saying like, you know, some of the best integrative medicine people I know are, um, you know, I, I forget who she was studying with, maybe somewhere in like Mesoamerica or, or South America. Um, and I asked, well, why was that? And they said, well, they know when Western medicine is just superior versus their plant medicine. Um, and they know that like, hey, we really want antibiotics because we just don't have anything that, that, that really works here. And I know antibiotics is a different class than, than psych meds, but, you know, it, it hit me that I feel like sometimes we can really kind of get on the train that, you know, it needs to be this way. And then we kind of mm -hmm. exclude other ways because we maybe have some, you know, I think a lot of people do feel that way of feeling abused by the systems and, and this and that. But just hearing that of, of hearing this like holistic approach of being like, wow, we're actually really thankful for antibiotics because we just don't have like the plant medicines that are really treating this right now um, yeah. in, in the community. And so just being able to hold those uh, dual perspectives. Sure. I, I appreciate that. I think that, you know, um, I prefer the natural route, but I know when it's time to have an intervention of that sort. And I think that just tapping into that part of ourselves that knows that too is really important. And we've created also uh, situations where um, there's reasons why these things are emerging, emerging to assist us because we're not really existing the way that we, that that we did when we were all indigenous communities in this world right so yeah. different things are appropriate right but yeah that's that's good it is very good to to can to remember that open-mindedness does include all of that genuinely if you're genuinely open-minded right yeah so um and in terms of the spiritual emergency you know the the word that i always revert to when people are having difficulty with that is conscious consciousness mm. and and people tend to be able to kind of wrap their heads around that more but it'd be interesting to further um brainstorm about <laughs> the terminology around that and and yeah one of the know. terms that um i think is kind of more relevant now in some of the philosophy communities is um exceptional experience and i know that's a term that one of my teachers tends to use um pretty often now and you know there's all these kind of different subgroups of uh, exceptional experience and um we just had dr david luke on the the show uh, a, a little bit ago. And there's a quote that he said in there around, um, you know, mystical experiences and that, you know, we need to, like, it seems that the psychedelic community is really focused on that mystical experience, but mystical experience is just one kind of subgroup of exceptional experiences. And so um, I, I tend to like that term, exceptional experience, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Words are fun to play around with and try to figure out <laughs> what the correct terminology is. Yeah, and I'm I'm a little more sensitive to words now too, and 
uh, just the feeling that that they give off and it can become an art now, you know, yeah. and and I, I think it's important to uh, appreciate that there are reasons why people, you know, have different feelings around these words. And again, the more open we become, the better, because I would have missed out. Uh, the only reason I became open to any of this is because I was suffering so terribly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so but now I think that other people may be suffering and not go going in this direction because uh, they've heard the word shamanism used in such negative with negative you know references in the past or spirituality even for me because of my religious experiences and and uh, that that whole experience was terribly brutal as far as I was concerned mm, in my own yeah. experience when I was a kid so I can appreciate why you know thinking about the words and really trying to be inviting as as inviting as possible is important um but anyway we're gonna close this off it's such a big topic and i'm so glad that you were um available to discuss this with me today and yeah well thank uh, you like, for the opportunity it's been fun yeah and let's hope this continues that people talk yes. about this subject more and more and um is there anywhere people can reach you would you like to give out some information about where people can find you yeah, you can check out our work at psychedelicstoday.com. Um, we have a podcast twice a week. You can find us on any of the podcast platforms. We have a blog over there um, at psychedelicstoday.com. And then we also have some um, education as well, if you're interested. I have, there's a free webinar actually at psychedeliceducationcenter.com um, called Spiritual Emergence or Psychosis. So if you're looking to dig into this topic a little bit deeper, um, there's a, a free webinar uh, replay uh, over there. And so, um, yeah, if you're interested, again um psychedelicstate.com or psychedeliceducationcenter.com fabulous thank you so much for joining us all right well thank you rebecca it's been awesome thanks for joining us for another edition of ayahuasca talks please visit rebeccahayden.com for more ayahuasca integration content and for information about working with me and using hypnosis as an empowering integration tool